Hello, and welcome to the Cannabis Corner. I am your host, Joshua Braff, and I'm here with my partner, Farmer Adam Teitelbaum. Today's episode is from the Lafayette Library in Lafayette, California. Adam and I had about 100 guests with very great and important questions. Joining us was Sarah Payan of the San Francisco Apothecarium and Danielle Schumacher of THC Staffing Group and Dr. Frank Lacido's office in Berkeley. Enjoy! Thank you. Thank you for being here. In uh, my, This is my town, Lafayette. Um, I don't live far from here. And the library has been wonderful to me. Um, my novels uh, did well in libraries. It was, it was, it's one indication of how well you're doing that your book is always out of the library. <laughs> it's also a way to read it without paying for it, which I got a lot of. <laughs> um, <laughs> so buy those books. No. I'm working on another novel now, but that's not what we're talking about tonight, even though we're in a library. Um, each of us has had an experience with the world of cannabis that led us to a place in which we wanted to be educators because we all knew pretty early on in our lives, regardless of the stigma, and that's a big word for us, regardless of the stigma, that we were doing better for ourselves by ingesting this in some form. And you know there's a lot of different forms uh, to ingest it. In the 80s, you were an outlaw. The smell was an outlaw. Adam and I were best friends, and we found that our milieu was made better by finding our way to this very illegal substance that made us laugh and have a great time. Um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an upbringing where high school wasn't our favorite and it was uh, relatively aggressive and um, competitive and we found ourselves together saying, wow, this is Pink Floyd and this is marijuana and no one in the world wants to smell it or, or see a, or learn that we are feeling better by it. Just a, a, another note was that we loved hard rock music and at the time Geraldo Rivera came on the TV and said that that was Satan's music just to give you a sense of the distance between the parents and their opinions of how a person should grow up and what we were. We were, fi- like so many high school kids uh, before us, we were finding our way to ring the bell on academics so that we could continue and, and become college students like our parents wanted us to, but at the same time, finding, uh, trying to decide, trying to come to terms with how we were so shunned and how we felt like such criminals because we were able to find this weed. And at the time, it was like very, very different potency than it is now. But we knew we were outlaws. We knew we were going to be punished if it was found. And today, and as we turned 50, we knew we were right. So that is a weird evolution for a kid who's learning on the TV that his music is Satan-based and that the thing that makes them laugh and, and, and calm from their high school life is something that is to be punished over. Um, I'm gonna, I'll say a little bit about how the evolution happened for me to come to this place, and then each of uh, my guests, these three are experts. You just don't get any better experts in the field. And as you can see through the media, even the Today Show is mentioning CBD now. Um, we've been in the game a long time. I watched the Today Show skirt any kind of possible positive from cannabis as medicine. And now recently, they're mentioning CBD in passing and then 
Also, they have small, produced, beautifully produced segments of Californians enjoying white wine and cannabis. So if you're in New York where it's still illegal, there must be people saying, look, what, look how great California is. What's wrong with us? Why can't we get on board? Uh, New Jersey's very much getting on board, and that will make New York hurry up. They don't want to be second to New Jersey ever. Um, uh, certain politics held up New Jersey's efforts, and y- all of you know what that means. So, um, in 08, I decided that one of the things I wanted to do as an artist, because I'm a novelist and a painter, I wanted to shoot a documentary. And I thought, oh, maybe it'll be a short or something, but I want to rent equipment and sort of tell a story as a fiction writer. Um, I love documentaries because there is no bad, there's no room for bad dialogue. The dialogue is is true, and I love that kind of storytelling, uh, historical nonfiction as well, which is the same thing, really. And um, so I said, I'm going to shoot a documentary, and I looked around for different topics, and my great friend Adam Teitelbaum in, in uh, 2008 became what was called a caregiver. 2005. He became a caregiver in 2005. I didn't come with camera equipment <laughs> till 2008, which meant we, you need to, His job in 2005, and he'll, you'll tell him, was nebulous as far as the law was concerned, but his goal, and I saw this, was to help very sick people. So when I arrived in 08, he said, you're not going to believe this, but come with me. And we saw people, various people in hospital beds in their own homes in Fort Collins, Colorado, not able to get cannabis legally. And Adam uh, taught them how to get their medical cards, which was something that had begun. And then he arrived at their homes and... uh, it was always a very sad situation where sometimes they couldn't speak. These were diseases I hadn't been uh, confronted with. And so not only did they allow him, he, they were excited to see him and always with a smile, no matter how sick they were, because they were, he was bringing them a strain that he had grown that was matching, believe it or not, their ailments. So she would say, yes, let's call them A, B, and C. A is not working so much for me, but B I love, and I love, it in the, I love it in the edible form, or I love it in the flower form. We call bud flower. Um, this was before anybody was vaping, and, and that evolution has come to a major place as well. So here we are, my clunky rental equipment in 08, and the people are open enough to say, this does help me and I have uh, fibromyalgia, or I have Crohn's disease, or I have cancerous cells, or I have uh, terrible migraines. So the evolution became, I returned each year for about 10 years with the equipment because we noticed that we were on the road to watching this this, this evolution become legalization in the country. 08, 09, 10, we never guessed It would become what it's become. And what it's become is brand new articles every single day we read about the the progression of cannabis as medicine being considered by people of all ages. So when we're, we're all accustomed to getting our cannabis in one way or another, and it became dispensaries at one point. Harborside is a front runner for for understanding that uh, very sick children could benefit. 
understanding that el- the that many middle-aged to elderly people were suffering from migraines and always going pharmaceutical, always listening to the doctor, back to pharmaceutical. Pharmaceutical always indicates side effects. It always indicates you didn't have an option at something else that perhaps is more banal. Marijuana is more banal? Perhaps, perhaps not in the way that it's grown. What's important to understand is that any CBD use is not going to get you high. And it's up to you to control that THC level. So there's a lot to discuss in the variations of it. One thing that's important to know is everybody receives it differently, and some of us are not meant for marijuana. Um, So you can see where I got attached and started to care on an altruistic level in that I was shooting a film that I thought would, you know, in my head, and all artists do this when they're writing a book, this is going to be at Sundance. I'm the only guy in the world who's filmed uh, cannabis bud in jars in a dispensary. Well, very quickly, PBS and Frontline was like, no, 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 we're on it, you know. We see the world changing. It's not just you. And all of a sudden I said, oh, I can't use that great footage. I, I shot four hours of those jars in a, in a dispensary in Fort Collins. Useless, because guess what? Everybody saw it. But at the time I was shooting it, nobody could believe that a jar would be marked uh, poison Durban, you know. Or is it Durban poison? Durban. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> Picked one strain, I got it wrong. So 10 years in, what's happening? Adam has three children that are growing up with a dad who is a grower in their house. At one point, he's on the phone with the teacher at the school to explain why their clothes smell like <laughs> cannabis. Fresh, oh, fresh not smoked form. Fresh, fresh, fresh not cannabis. Smoked. I was there. Big difference in the smell. Now, you might guess, I bet those kids that grew up with the pot farmer aren't really into pot. That's true. They're just hugely academic, altruistic, wonderful kids who may or may not have a glass of wine here and there. But they, that, that thing about you know, great parenting, which, which comes down to, I'm going to listen to you and ask you about your day, will thwart any kid's Uh, aim to be an outlaw or or to hurt themselves. There was a lot of great honesty there. So parents in the 80s weren't recognizing what it was that was making us feel better. God forbid they told their friends that it was marijuana and the stigma was, was stuck for a long, long time. And then there's parents like we ended up being, which said, this is not, this dogma is, 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 is not correct. And we're sort of here to, to uh, help the education of understanding that that very well-placed stigma no longer applies. And why is it important? Because all of you know somebody who should be looking into cannabis in some form before you are taking pharmaceuticals in a country that has a, a, uh, an epidemic that has been... I mean, you can, you can research this and, and decide if I, perhaps I'm wrong, but an opioid ad- epidemic that has been caused by physicians in America prescribing too loosely and not even being able to discuss with you the word cannabis. I said to my vet the other day, because he said to me, oh, your, your dog has an allergy and you might want to try some fish oil. I said, so in a year you'll tell me about CBD? And there was a big pause because the staff was there. And he said, I'm not allowed to talk about that, but you are allowed to talk about that with your physician. So the legalese and the permission and the regulation that has allowed us to be able to speak about this so freely 
is, is pretty profound stuff and needs to be uh, adhered to. So um, Adam and I shoot this film. It's 10 years. We, we, we knew that his youngest child would be 18 in 2018. And he's 18, right? he's 18, he's 18 now. 18. This was going to be our period. Hey, we can release the film with all our footage uh-huh. if we can edit it into something coherent. And it, at that point, it was, there's so much cannabis uh, documentaries and PBS and t- the Today Show knows the acronym CBD. We are done for as the movie's concerned. It's very, very expensive to edit a movie. But podcasts were popping and people and TED Talks. And we heard that teenagers weren't listening to rock music necessarily, but to podcasts as they jogged. Okay, this was new to us. But let's do it. Let's take our knowledge and our friendship and get in a room and create a half hour in which we interview two experts per show. We did 30 of them. They, if you saw the card outside uh, for the Cannabis Corner, it's very easy for you to uh, find those shows online. We're proud of them. It's a thesis that will outlive us uh, at a very interesting time in, in, in a prohibition-type time for cannabis. Uh, where all of a sudden it's amazing the ubiquity of possibilities for wellness as, as it pertains to cannabis as medicine. So you can see how this evolved for us. We were very proud of our show, and uh, two of our first guests were Danielle Schumacher and Sarah Payan. So I'm going to pass it over to, let's say, Sarah right now, and she's going to tell you how her life led her to find us and how... We, uh, how she's, why she's here and why it's important that she's here. Okay, Sarah? That's Thank for you, you, Sarah. Let's see. Oh, you know, can you hear me? All right. Um, so I had experimented when I was younger with cannabis. Um, I was 13 the first time I tried it. And I played with it in high school and a little bit in college. But through my 20s and 30s, my use was sporadic. I, you know, when I think about... How, how infrequently compared to what I use it now medicinally, it's quite a big difference. When I was 37 years old, I was diagnosed with stage 3 colon cancer. And my mother is a retired cancer researcher, so through her work, I learned that THC would help me with nausea, getting me eating again. And so that's when I got my card. Um, And I wish I would have known then what I know now. There's so many other things I could have done uh, with cannabis through chemotherapy. Um, But one big thing that it actually helped me with prior to chemotherapy was getting me off of opiates after I had a resectioning of my colon because I had a tumor the size of a lemon. Um, When I was going through chemo, uh, cannabis helped me eat. It helped with nausea. Um, When you have stage 3 colon cancer... And, you know, as we get older, I think we start to get a little bit more candid about our bowel movements. Um, But constipation is deadly. And so using opiates for pain and my anti-emetics or my anti-nausea drugs would also cause constipation, which is deadly for a stage 3 colon cancer patient. So I used it throughout then. Um, Prior to working in cannabis, I was actually an operations manager in nonprofit. I worked in civil rights. And I stumbled upon my job in cannabis because I was actually going back for my master's in organizational psychology. And I was offered a position at the apothecarium behind the bar. And I thought, 
hey, that'll be wonderful. I'll go back to school. I really, when you go through something as life-changing as cancer, you start to reevaluate what's important to you. And for me, I was not, I wanted to go back to school and I wasn't interested in being anyone's boss anymore or dealing with HR facilities or IT. Um, So I thought, wonderful, it'll be like working in a bookstore or a coffee shop while I'm going to school. And it became so much more involved. And as I started to get into educating patients and really feeling honored um, when I was sick, a lot of people went to bat for me and helped me. And my work with cannabis and working with patients and survivors is my way of paying it forward. I get to help people every day. Um, And that is incredibly rewarding. And it is not altogether altruistic because I derive great pleasure from it. Um, But what we were seeing was that people really didn't understand how cannabis worked in their bodies. And people were making mistakes and afraid of it. And what we really needed to do was empower people about cannabis medicine and promote critical thought. And that's when I started the education program with the Apothecarium, and one of our very first classes was Cannabis and Cancer, which we still do, um, and it's one of our best-attended classes. Uh, so uh, that's what got me into the work that I do, and now I, I'll, well, we'll talk a little bit more about what else is going on later, but <laughs> I just feel so incredibly lucky, and if you told me 10 years ago I'd be doing this, I'd tell you you're nuts. Sure. Um, So I'm from the Chicago suburbs, and um, I was born in the 80s. (laughs) Um, So it's I think the stigma has carried us through to the 2000s, because when I was growing up, um, nobody talked about marijuana where I was from. Um, But alcohol and cigarettes were really demonized. Um, So alcoholics um, were demonized and cigarette smokers were treated differently. Um, so I was used to that, and I had a lot of um, people in my family who had substance abuse issues. And then one day, I saw a jar in my dad's room that was a plant, and I realized what it was. Um, and something just really intrigued me about that, that it was secret, and it just looked so harmless. It was a plant. So I just, was, I just became really interested in that. Um, and then um, I, I actually was using it in middle school, so around the same age as Sarah, 12, 13, uh, experimenting with it. And then in um, high school and college, I got really into human rights work, um, was feeling... Uh, especially freshman year of college, I remember just feeling really overwhelmed by everything going on in the world and and what can I do? Um, Is there something I can major in in college so I can do, you know, work on human rights? Uh, And then um, through Amnesty International, I came across uh, a report by the Human Rights Watch. It's still actually a really important report, even though it was statistics from the 90s. It's still one of the only comprehensive reports we have about who's in who's incarcerated in the US and for what so it was this massive survey and it's the first time i ever realized that most of the people incarcerated are nonviolent drug offenders that is not at all what i thought was the case i really assumed that everyone in jail was violent but it turns out 
the vast majority of people incarcerated ended up there originally because of a nonviolent drug offense. So that just really struck me as something I could focus on that, okay, uh, if I've spent my whole life working on cannabis reform specifically, that I can have an impact on the criminal justice system and and reduce the numbers of people incarcerated for that. So yes, of course, I I believe it's medical, has medical benefits. um, But ultimately, my motivation is um, improving, um, you know, changing the criminal justice system and, and reducing the prison industrial complex. So um, California obviously is leading the way with Prop 64, and we might get into that a little bit more. Um, and of course, I mean, if somebody has a legit medical need, it, it should not be a crime for them to use it or grow it. Um, so let's see. Um, so in college, I got into um, activism around this, um, started a chapter of Students for Sensible Drug Policy on my campus, and um, One thing led to another. I was offered an internship in Berkeley, California with Berkeley Patients Group. Um, At the time that I got involved in the early 2000s, I was one of the only women in the room at every event. Uh, When we would travel to conferences, usually in California, um, we were some of the only young people. Um, Some of uh, the people in my group were the only people of color. Um, So we just really had a vision that uh, if we stayed involved that this was going to change. There was definitely going to be all kinds of people involved in this. And um, so we've been doing this uh, since the early 2000s. That's in in this field that's considered a really long time. (laughs) Just trying to give that indication with with 08 being so in the dark. And here we are. uh, So that people who are... as interested as we are and, and saw the connections to, to wellness for humans in America um, are as blown away as you are by the, uh, the evolution and the quickness to capitalism too, which is everybody and his brother's got a, got a strain of, of marijuana they'd like to sell. Um, Adam, you want to tell us about you? Yeah. Um, I, I first came to cannabis uh, by watching a friend's mother and our music teacher smoke it through a window in sixth grade and uh, before that I had for some reason equated marijuana with devil worship I don't know why that's the image I had no this is pre-Geraldo you know we're 50 Um, and I saw them sharing this and laughing and having a good time, and then we scurried away because we weren't supposed to be there. I'd forgotten the key to my house. We were supposed to be at my house that day, but we went to his house because I forgot the key. So I saw them smoking it and thought, how bad can this be if my friend's mom and our music teacher, Miss Ballas, are smoking this stuff? So that got me thinking first in sixth grade. I didn't have the opportunity to try it until ninth grade when I, was, when I really felt ready. And uh, I did with Michael Getter and a yellow joint that he drove over on his orange moped to my backyard. And I'd never felt so great in my young life. And till that point, I had really felt at peace. I had had trouble growing up in South Orange, New Jersey. It was uh, difficult for some of us. And um, I really felt good. And I didn't realize. I didn't actually realize I was having medicinal effects at that point because I didn't know until I was an adult that I suffered from ADD. 
and uh, that I'd been using that to self-medicate. And had it not been for cannabis, I never would have graduated for college, from college. No way. Kept me in college. I, I, I smoked cannabis all through college. I grew in the dorms at CU Boulder in uh, what was then Nichols Hall, now Cheyenne, Arapahoe, where one of my kids is staying. Um, I have two, two boys at CU Boulder. And um, I grew there. I grew in my house sophomore year. I grew outside. I grew, actually, I started growing when I was 15, um, the very first time, because my father found out I was smoking and said, where are you getting it from? And I told him, Irvington, New Jersey, some Rasta guy who comes over a hill at about 310, and we all get really excited and get our dime bags. And uh, he said, well, it's a plant. You can grow it yourself. My father's a physician, uh, director of pediatrics and infectious disease at Newark Beth Israel Medical Center, which has become St. Barnabas. And I uh, said, you know, don't tell anybody. And, uh, you know, do that if you, if you say that if you get caught. I didn't know anything. And uh, I did. I started actually first grew it in our house. I didn't understand. I put seeds in my mom's house plant, and these things started sprouting. And uh, what is this? And she got very suspicious. And Dad said, you know, why, why did you do that there? <laughs> so I got wiser and started growing in my next-door neighbor's backyard. <laughs> And uh, watched the one giant plant that grew there in their very fertile soil from my attic bedroom until one day I saw uh, Dr. Dr. Robbins and her husband looking at this plant saying, what is that? And they were avid gardeners. And I knew that they were going to be cutting this thing down. So I went and chopped it and got it, and it was gone. And they didn't understand what had happened until years later, one of their kids said, you know, that was Adam growing weed in your backyard. Um, but so I, I've, been, I've been attached to this plant. Didn't realize, uh, again, why. I didn't understand why it motivated me to stay in school. Again, without it, I would have not gotten a master's in business, business administration either. Um, but cannabis uh, helped me to stay focused because I, I, have, I have a focus issue. And uh, it's either take, you know, Ritalin or Adderall. Um, and I did do a bout of that and realized how much worse I felt. And my physician in Fort Collins was the one who said, you know, I think cannabis is better for you. Um, and I actually educated him over the last uh, 17 years that I spent there. But uh, taught tennis for 20 years, sold a lot of bags at the, at the net after a lot of tennis lessons as well. That went hand in hand for the pain. Uh, and it was really mostly older people, people who you'd be surprised uh, that would be smoking. So I've literally been growing and selling cannabis for the last 35 years. Um, I wasn't able to do it legally until 2005, um, which is, is kind of amazing. And I started off as a caregiver, um, and I was growing, and it was a mom-and-pop shop or operation. My, my wife Cindy and I were running this, growing, uh, making butter, edibles, bringing things to patients at their homes, learning what, what uh, you know, taking notes and data constantly on what uh, ailments were helped by what strains, and uh, compiling this. Actually, I brought a, a notebook of some of this old material to, to Josh's about strain recommendations and talking about the effects of them. And uh, I, was, I was hooked because I, I realized that I had such a love for cannabis and the people that it helped. And uh, I knew I had, I had really found my passion, and I knew that I could help a lot of people. And the way that the laws were in Colorado, I was able to give away a lot because of, well, laws and regulations that I actually was, uh, got to help be a part of writing in my city of Fort Collins uh, during my time there as well. And um, ended up teaming up with dispensaries. I've grown for a number of dispensaries. I just uh, recently left Fort Collins, or as I always called it, Fort Cannabis, the most... Uh, 
cannabis-friendly, yeah, very stigma-free. I was able to be myself. I, I knew most of the police force, and uh, from the second from police chief down, all knew who I was, all knew what I did, and uh, a lot of them told me how their wives used it, and uh, I know that some of them used it too, um, and didn't have a problem with law enforcement there. I've now moved to Tacoma, Washington, uh, to run a much larger uh, grow operation that is, has... There's a lot of work to do there, and um, I've realized the community is very different, and so um, I'm really seeing this role that Josh and I have been playing as educators because the purpose of this podcast has nothing to do with uh, financial gain um, because it's only cost money, this, this podcast. Um, the whole purpose is about reducing stigma with this, with this substance, as Josh said, that we felt you know, maybe guilt for a certain time. Now, I didn't. I was maybe one of the friends who, in our group who didn't feel guilt, and I was very out about it, and I was actually proud of it. And uh, so when I could come above ground legally, it was a, it was a big deal. And doing this pursuit with my best friend, uh, I, I just can't tell you how amazing it is to be spreading some truth and information and knowledge that... Um, I've learned uh, over the years, along with a great panel of people with a lot of experience with cannabis. Happy to be here. Thank you, Adam. We're going to, uh, as you can see, we have questions, um, and I think it might be a good idea just to jump in. Um, I think we should, uh, one, one question here that stands out uh, that I'd like to start with is about Crohn's disease, because it's very common. Um, one of the things that uh, cannabis does for me is it'll, it's stomach-related. So uh, I find myself, when I'm feeling quite full from any, from, any, from any meal, that a very small amount gives my brain the indication that there's nothing, la- there's nothing in my stomach. Uh, which is the munchies thing. We've all heard about that, where, oh, this is going to induce um, an appetite. That's a very, very big deal for people of all ages who are on meds. So again, as we said, hey, this might be better for you than pharmaceuticals. It's important to note that there, it's very, very good to marry cannabis use with pharmaceutical use. Crohn's disease comes to mind because I met a bunch of people who were getting such relief from it. It says, what strain and form do you recommend for Crohn's disease? So the notion that um, a certain strain might be good for it might be a tough question, right? Uh, Anybody here feel like they've matched a strain, seen a strain work work for Crohn's disease, Adam? I mean, I have. I actually had uh, one of my very long-term patients uh, who's a welder, um, suffers from Crohn's disease. Um, I can't say that it speaks to everyone, but he uh, relied heavily on Durban poison, which is a which is, that happens to be a sativa African landrace strain. But I mean, it just happens to be that I know that that helped him. And then a very different strain, AK forty seven, very old school strain, also helped him. You're going to hear funny names of strains, and, and sometimes it's kind of hey, we're trying to be taken serious here. Well, that's called Elmo, you know. <laughs> but uh, they they. Because it's called Elmo doesn't mean that it's not an extreme. You know, you have to remember that cannabis came from, it was so underground. So it, it was interesting in the, in the beginning when I remember my first time actually being on the floor in a dispensary and saw, turned around and saw, uh, I had just become a, the, running a, a grow operation for, for a place and spent a, uh, some time as a bud tender and turned around and saw something that I hadn't grown and it was called Alaskan Thunderfuck. And I thought, how am I going to be selling this? I, I, we immediately started changing names. 
<laughs> we had to because who's going to take that seriously? Or you That's call mean. it ATF? Yeah, yeah, the right. acronyms are our friend. right. But we did we actually did away, away with all all those and kind of changed the names and a lot of that. There's an evolution happening. So is is it are we able to say that a sativa might work better for Crohn's than an indica? I don't think so. I don't think so. And actually, actually, and actually, I think you're going to see these terms. I don't know how many of you are familiar with these terms like sativa, indica, hybrid. These different types of cannabis. Sativa tends to generally, if I'm generalizing, is more uplifting. A hybrid is going to be and going to be more cerebral. And an indica is going to be much more of a body high and maybe make you feel like chilling into the couch. That's why a lot of people say, remember, indica, indica couch. It's an, easy, it's an easy way to remember it. And then there's hybrids. But a lot of places are starting to sell it more according to how it makes you feel or the mood. Like, here, this, is, this is our relaxed section. This is our you know, more energetic uplifting if you're looking to get some housework done or a project or something. And this is for pain or this has a high CBD to THC ratio. And so it really won't get you high. By the way, I've got to say something that I, I don't believe that CBD is not psychoactive. I'm sorry, I don't. Has anybody here ever consumed CBD? I agree. Okay. I, I agree too. I'm sorry, it's not. It's there's some psychoactivity to it. Um, you don't find it. Okay, so it depends on the form. Okay, I have a. Oh, yes, no, that's okay. I have a I have a twenty uh, a twenty year old son at University of Colorado, and he's very skeptical of a lot of things, and especially of his father, which he should be, and checks me on everything. And uh, he said, Dad, I'd really like to dab some CBD. You promised me it's not going to get me high. And I said, well, it's not going to get you high, but it is going to make you feel something. Um, There's going to be a change. And so he took a dab. I don't know if, oh, sorry, a dab of CBD. This is a a way of uh, ingesting some vapor with a concentrate. So it's not like a flower or a bud, but it's been turned into an oil maybe of sorts, in various forms. Could be hard, could be liquid. And so I gave him this dab on this dabbing apparatus, sat back in the chair, and he said, that's a bunch of garbage. I totally feel different. I'm really relaxed. I said, do you feel good? He said, I do. I'm glad I don't have to, you know, like write a paper, a biochemistry paper right now. But I feel relaxed. How is that not psychoactive? And I said, that's right. I said, I know. I said, it does, there's a change that happens not just in my body, but in, in my brain. So I'm, I'm, there's some sort of psycho. But we'd also like to say that... Uh, so don't, don't, I'm sorry, I don't think you, everybody can, for instance, ingest CBD and drive. And we're all different, and we all, we're all living organisms who react to these substances differently. I've seen people who tolerate cannabis well, and some people who have no business taking it at all, at all you know, and because we are all different genetically, so... Let's talk about sleep, um, some uh, migraines and sleep and anxiety and um, the difference between uh, a product that is just CBD or THC or connected. So there's the hybrids. Um, Let's talk sleep. Um, Sarah, what are your thoughts on the best recommendation for someone who's struggling with sleep? With sleep? I get a lot of people who come in um, needing help with sleep, and they say their physicians tell them to use CBD. And that's not necessarily true. CBD is more about homeostasis and balance than it is for making somebody drowsy. And also some people can be quite uplifted with it. So I think, like, if we're going back to CBD, 
if it alleviates symptoms that make it hard for you to sleep, like say you have sleep anxiety. I know for myself, I'm not a morning person. So if I have to get up twice a year, I have an all-hands meeting at 7 a.m. And believe me, I'm stressing out about it at about 8 p.m. the night before. And I'm like, I have this much longer to sleep. I have this much longer to sleep. And that makes it hard because it cycles. So it relaxes me and quiets my body and mind for sleep. Um, or if you have inflammation or pain that makes it hard for you to sleep, CBD can be the answer sometimes. Or And some people do get drowsy with it. And that's what I say. If it feels that way with your body, go with it. Because like Adam said, we are all very different. We're walking chemistry experiments. But by and large, THC is what's going to be helping us get more sleepy. And when we are talking about the difference between indica or sativa, we're talking about a spectrum of feel. And this is really a generalization about how the broad public reacts to things that are more what we would consider more on the indica side or the sativa side based on feel and terpene profile. Um, I get about 2,000 hours of experiential research in a year, and I've been, I'm going on seven years now, and there will be people who will react very differently to cannabis than we expect. I always say eight people come to see me, or ten people come to see me, I can tell you exactly how eight will react. Two will do something completely fascinating and different. Exactly. So if you're going by rule of thumb and a generalization, something more towards the indica side um, would be best, higher in THC. Or if you're looking for alleviating pain or taking down anxiety and having THC, we're probably looking at closer to a one-to-one ratio. But also take into consideration that what we really want to be looking at is what's your experience with cannabis? How do you metabolize other drugs? And we want to go slow and low because the key is to get that fine balance between ratio and volume. And we just, journaling is a big part of finding out how you personally metabolize cannabis. Right, and and it depends on the intake, whether you're having an edible, a tincture, or smoking, or vaping, and so... Sure, like whether, a lot of times when I ask, it's like, are you having problems getting to sleep or staying asleep? Mm -hmm. Getting to sleep, smoking, or vaping is really appropriate. Absolutely. And... Staying asleep and edible. edible. uh, We've made homemade, you know, edibles for forever, and uh, that's, I I rely on that for my sleep and my body, for, for sure. Huge difference. And we'll have more of our Q&A from the Lafayette Library in our next episode of The Cannabis Corner. Don't forget to check us out on Insta and Twitter. We hope you have a great week. And we'll see you next time on The Cannabis Corner. Mm